Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It's Roy's show without Roy. This is the Roy Green Show with guest host Andrew Lawton on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Roy Green Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. My name is Andrew Lawton, guest hosting for Roy on this Easter Sunday edition of the program. Our men dealt an unfair hand. It may seem to some like a silly question, but it's actually been one posed in research going back 30 years by two academics in Canada, Drs. Catherine Young and Paul Nathanson. These two are the leading researchers of misandry, as I understand it, the male counterpart to misogyny. And I wanted to talk about this. I'm a man. What can I say about oppression against me? That's what a lot of feminists would have you believe, that men can't criticize the treatment of men because we're the oppressors. We are the ones that have been dealt the great hand. Not so much, according to some of the research by Drs. Young and Nathanson. Their latest book, recently published, is called Replacing Misandry. And Dr. Catherine Young, Professor Emerita from McGill University, joins me on the line now. Dr. Young, thank you very much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Yes, uh, I'm glad to glad to talk to you. So you have been covering this topic of misandry in a number of books going back about 15 years now when uh, Spreading Misandry was published, co-authored uh, by uh, your colleague, Dr. Nathanson, and yourself. Uh, let me first ask you here, because this is a word that a lot of people are not familiar with, certainly not as much as the word misogyny. So just to give listeners that might not be as familiar a, a good context here, what is misandry? Well, misandry is the contempt or hatred of men, and it's the sexist counterpart of misogyny. This is something that you speak of in very strong language, but does this really have a wider umbrella underneath it? I mean, mocking men, joking about men, things that ultimately seem like double standards that you could never do with women. Is that tantamount to misandry in your eyes? Yes, it is. And and we started this project uh, in the mid-80s and really tracked it carefully through the 90s. Um, In fact, we had collected so much information at that point that it was going to be one book but with multiple angles. In point of fact, we've divided that book uh, up and divided it again and again. So there are now four books and two more before we complete this project. So it's a pervasive uh, phenomenon. When we looked at popular culture, we looked at jokes and greeting cards and box office hit films, uh, TV shows, uh, and we found an image of men that was almost always uh, inadequate, evil, or what we call the honorary women. Talk to me a little bit about that. What does the honorary woman designation mean <laughs> as it pertains to this? 
Okay, well, that's uh, really uh, images of men uh, created by by women, and uh, there are a number of men who uh, who buy into that in the sense that they are uh, male feminists or in alliance with with uh, feminists. Sometimes they're they're minority men in a film, uh, and because of that alliance between the feminism and and uh, minority uh, traditions, uh, they there is an alliance there, and we call uh, we call these people the the honorary women, Do, doing what women like in terms defined by women. So this is sort of going down that road of the the fantasy man that doesn't really exist in reality that you know women would be talking about that sort of vision. Yes, um, if they ascribe to the values that, that women want, I mean, there's a number of things where where men, for good reason, uh, should and do ascribe to to things that that women want. We don't want to paint this thing as terribly negative, but we ask the question: What does a healthy male identity mean today? And we find the old cross-cultural pattern, and there were always exceptions, but the, the big pattern was being a provider, a protector, and a progenitor. So none of those are distinctive anymore. And we feel that there's a growing crisis of male identity because of that inability to define something that is distinctive and culturally valued by society. Well, and and men can't claim to be uh, providers as a definition of manhood or protectors, because women do these things now. And even progenitor, which is fatherhood, uh, there's sperm banks. And so that notion of fatherhood can be reduced to what we call a teaspoon of sperm. I would also go another level with that, which is that not only are there less defined roles for men as providers, etc., but also a lot of people seem to view that as an inherently sexist ideal, that if you talk about a male being a provider, that in and of itself is misogynistic. That seems to have really clouded the discussion on this. Yes, uh, this is uh, yeah. This is exactly exactly the issue. I mean, it's not that we want to go back to you know women at home, uh, at least elite women at home, middle class women at home, and and men in the workplace. We're, we're not trying to turn back the the hands of time with this, but we we do think we need to move toward a point of first of all hearing men's voices and taking them seriously so that they're part of the conversation, uh, not bystanders uh, where, uh, where other people define the terms of, of manhood. And how this works out has no, no easy solution to it, but we feel that uh, to move forward we need what we call a level playing field. Uh, for a long time it was that women needed that level playing field. But now we feel that uh, that we need to take the concerns of men more seriously, concerns such as oh, the high suicide rate for men, the dropout uh, from uh, school, the, you know, the devastating effects of, of chronic unemployment. Uh, so many issues need to need to be uh, come to the foreground and uh, be discussed 
And very often it's just a forbidden topic. You mentioned in that response this equalizer that's needed to level the playing field, and you also acknowledged in that same breath that this is something that women needed for the longest time. Was there one pivotal point or at least a span of a few years when the pendulum had moved from one side to the other, all of a sudden uh, women were dealt a better hand than men by and large? I think that was the period of the 90s where we were you know, focusing on uh, what women were saying. So we read a, 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 so many uh, feminist books at that time, and as you saw, we looked at popular culture. Another book was called Legalizing Misandry, and we, we could see, the although, uh, although one was always supposed to have gender-neutral language in law, we could see how uh, it often was uh, in favor of women when you read interpretations into the law, when the courts came uh, into play, when the police came into play, um, and we detected a lot of double standards. Oh, and we've certainly seen that uh, with custody issues as well, where there seem to be a lot of men uh, that are just completely left out of the system, if you will. That's it. So custody, well, in that Legalizing Miss Andrew book, we, we looked at uh, custody, we looked at uh, child support, we looked at parental alienation, we looked at prostitution, we looked at... Uh, Oh, just such a, well, of course, violence against against women. We looked at domestic violence, uh, all of those issues. And, uh, you know, there are serious, serious uh, cases with women. And the, the difficulty of this discussion is not to belittle those problems uh, or try to detract from them, but to say, look, there are cases where there where there is domestic violence against men. Where do they go for help? Uh, where are the shelters for men? Where are the psychiatrists and the the counselors and the social workers who are trained to listen to men carefully and take their needs and their concerns into consideration? I've got to take a quick break here, but I'm going to continue my discussion with Dr. Catherine Young when we resume here on The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm Andrew Lawton. We'll be right back. Roy Green has big shoes to fill. Good thing we've brought in a heavy hitter. This is The Roy Green Show with guest host Andrew Lawton on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm Andrew Lawton, and I'm joined by Dr. Catherine Young, one of the co-authors, along with Dr. Paul Nathanson, of the series of misandry books. Uh, Dr. Young, between your first book on the subject back in, I think it was 2001, and the most recent one, just uh, in the end of last year, how much has the scope of research really changed? Has the issue gotten better or even worse in that time? Well, we're finding that there there is there are changes underway right now, but they really haven't uh, uh, entered the universities, uh, so that there's good research being done. Now, sorry, on... are these positive changes or negative changes? Well, at the moment, I, we're, we're seeing a turning point toward more positive okay. changes, but it's very slow. Um, we we don't, as I just said, we don't. See it in in university research. It's still very hard to publish uh, books on men of of getting these issues into peer reviewed journals. 
a lot of the discussion goes on in private groups. It goes on on the internet, on blogs, and very often those uh, contexts aren't they aren't uh, uh, the research doesn't come to the foreground. A lot of frustration and anger gets vented. So we've always argued that we we need to 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 have these discussions. Uh, in the mainstream, in the universities, and in research institutes. Obviously, universities and, I mean, the broader academic culture has really been where we've seen so much of the feminism that you described earlier on. I'm curious what the response has been to you and Dr. Nathanson in academic circles as you've unveiled and furthered your research. Well, generally, we're just uh, ignored. As I said, even to get reviews of our wow. books have, have been hard. Uh, luckily, McGill Queen's uh, press has has been very solidly supportive of us and, and published this uh, this series. But it, it's hard to get this uh, out there. Uh, occasionally, when we give a lecture, we've had protests. We gave one in 2013. It was held uh, in a in a University of Toronto classroom, and there were huge protests. And the the topic, as it was advertised, had the word intersexual dialogue in it. In other words, the, the, the conversation between men and women. Uh, so. You know, you would think you could at least use the language of dialogue. This wasn't the the language of men's rights that people uh, often fear is a is a language that will try to marginalize women's concerns. It's, it's dialogue, and that caused protests. We did just give a, a lecture this uh, week, uh, also uh, at the University of Chicago. Uh, sorry, University of Toronto, and uh, we didn't have protests this time. So maybe that's maybe that's a change. These uh, topics may be at least allowed to be discussed, where before there was a, seriously an attempt to silence uh, people that would be of, uh, that would be interested in men's issues. With that being said, I know one of the common themes that you've looked at outside of academic circles has been misandry in popular culture. I'm curious if that has been, and we've seen it in advertising from commercials that are predicated on, you know, dumb dads not knowing how to do certain things or men falling into very simplistic stereotypes in, in sitcoms and movies, etc. Has that really been part of the guiding force of misandry and culture, or has that just been a reflection of a misandry in society that already existed? I suspect it goes both ways. In other words, if there's a misandry in uh, the general culture, then uh, the people who create these programs, and sometimes they're men as well as women, they know that this sells, so to speak, that uh, that people are quite willing to cast the aspersions uh, on men, and it, uh, it can enter a popular format. Um, at the same time, you can get... Uh, uh, the creation of Miss Andrew out of those out of those programs. So it's a, it goes both ways. The one thing I wanted to close on here is where do you see the positive outcome 
really deriving from here? I mean, is this a change that people need to look at in their own lives? Is this a change that academic circles need to embrace? How can we really go back to what you said earlier and tip the scales to a more even footing? Well, I mean, I think everybody... Well, first of all, we talk about the fact that women uh, went through a a major transition uh, where their consciousness was raised about the issues that affected women. And we think the same thing uh, needs to happen with men, and it certainly has been happening. We think that just as women uh, uh, decided that they had to monitor the misogyny and when they saw it, uh, in the public forums to criticize it, um, men have to monitor, and those women who are concerned about men need to monitor this as well, whether it's complaining about adver- advertisements uh, that are negative toward men or uh, university courses that uh, called gender that won't look at uh, anything about the about men's history and uh, men's movements and and the concerns of men, um, so it needs to go on 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 all levels. I'm joined on the line by Professor Catherine Young, a woman specializing in this idea of misandry, something that I think needs to be more actively discussed than it is, and also co-author of the Misandry series alongside Dr. Paul Nathanson. Uh, Dr. Young, thank you so very much for your time this afternoon. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. I'm already looking at my email inbox, and I'm looking forward to actually reading some of the people who have uh, listened into that uh, thoughts and analyses on it. I have a few people, men and women, by the way, that are saying, oh, my goodness, such a enlightening interview. And then I have other people basically saying, and this is just a cursory look through, how dare she? How dare anyone say that men are being oppressed like women have in the past? I don't think it's about comparing. I don't think it's about picking winners and losers. It certainly shouldn't be. This is why I'm so opposed to affirmative action. The way we passed right or the way we write past wrongs is not by flipping the table so that another side is enduring some sort of systemic oppression or discrimination. The way we do it is by giving everyone equal footing. And I just have a couple of moments here, but there was a great column a couple of weeks ago in the National Post by Peter Sean Taylor who is a McLean's editor-at-large, and he was writing about a new policy at the University of Manitoba's teacher college in the Faculty of Education, where beginning next year, 45% of all incoming spots will be allocated to so-called diversity categories. So natives will get 15% of all spots, Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, all the other letters in that ever-increasing acronym get 7.5%. Non-whites get 7.5% of the spots. Disabled persons, 7.5%. And disadvantaged persons, 7.5%. And that's anyone that feels that they have experienced discrimination based on their sex, their religion, their race, their whatever the case may be, social class. And Peter Sean Taylor wrote that everyone gets special treatment here except for men. Because all of a sudden, it's not important to have men represented. And the reason he put pointed that out is because it's actually men who are underrepresented in teachers' college right now and in the teaching profession. So how is affirmative action really helping anyone? And that's just one piece of this misandry puzzle that Drs. Young and Nathanson describe. 
We have to take a quick break here, but we'll have a final wrap-up of the program in just a moment here on The Roy Green Show. I'm Andrew Lawton, and you're listening on the Chorus Radio Network.